0: Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called American Torture (coughs) and a Presidential Promise. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, November 23, 2008. At the end of history, says Jesus, God will judge quote all the nations end quote Matthew 25:31 Divine judgment will be based partly on how nations treat their prisoners. This makes for uncomfortable reading for Americans who take the truth of the gospels in the treatment of prisoners with equal seriousness. In November 2001, Americans captured al-Qahtani Mohammed in Afghanistan and sent him to prison at Guantanamo, Cuba. A year later, when it was discovered that he had probably been an additional hijacker for the 9-11 terrorist attacks and a member of al-Qaeda, Qahtani was placed in isolation for 160 days. During that time, he was subjected to aggressive interrogation techniques 20 hours a day for 54 straight days. His interrogation logs, in fact, were published by Time magazine on March the 3rd in 2006. Katani was not charged with any crimes for six years, not until February 11, 2008 and those charges were dropped by the Pentagon on May the 12th, 2008. On December 5th, 2002, a 22-year-old Afghan taxi driver named Dilawar was captured and taken to America's prison at the Bagram Air Force Base. Five days later, Dilawar was dead. At first, the military said that he had died of natural causes. But in a later inquiry, the coroner testified that his lower body had been, quote-unquote, pulpified. On his death certificate issued by the military, the box marked Homicide is checked. Dilawar Katani, in what the public has seen and heard about America's military prisons at Guantanamo, Bagram, and Abu Ghraib are only the tip of the iceberg. According to Human Rights Watch, more than 600 U.S. military and civilian personnel have been involved in abusing more than 460 detainees. There are at least 83,000 detainees in U.S. custody, 108 of them have died, at least 37 by homicide. The vast majority of these prisoners were not captured by American forces. They were turned in by nationals eager for the financial bounty offered by the Americans. Dilawar, the taxi driver, for example, was detained at a checkpoint by an Afghan warlord, who was himself later detained as a suspect in a rocket attack. Only a tiny minority of the prisoners are proven terrorists or valuable intelligence assets. These prisoners cannot now be prosecuted in normal courts of law because evidence against them was gathered by torture. They can't very well be released and so now the United States faces the prospect of detaining them indefinitely without charges. In two books, The Dark Side, by Jane Mayer, in Torture Team by Philip Sands. The authors reconstruct in meticulous detail how Cheney, Rumsfeld, and their closest aides legalized torture as American public policy. Widespread torture did not bubble up from the bottom, as the Bush administration claimed, nor was it limited to isolated incidents by a few bad apples. There were noble administration and military people who demurred and dissented, and even genuine heroes in this sordid story like Alberto Mora, general counsel to the Navy from 2001 to 2006. But virtually all protesters were marginalized. A small war council acted in secrecy to actively exclude all naysayers, and to bypass normal protocols of checks and balances. Cheney, Rumsfeld, David Addington, John Yu, Tim Flanagan, Alberto Gonzalez, Doug Fife, J Bybee, and Jim Haynes. These powerful ideologues, a weak president, paranoia about further attacks after 9-11, interagency rivalry, and government dysfunction created the perfect storm that led to American torture of prisoners. Torture is immoral in principle. It's also wrong for pragmatic reasons. Torture produces unreliable results, which proved to be the case with Katani. No meaningful intelligence was gathered from him. Torture is a betrayal of American values and long-standing military practice. It puts American soldiers at risk, emboldens our enemies, and undermines America's reputation abroad. Canada, for example, has placed the United States on its list of rogue nations that torture. Such is the price we've paid for spurning civilizations nearly Latin last nearly universal moral taboo. Sands and Mayer show that those who were responsible for torture are guilty of war crimes in light of the Geneva Convention's Article 3 and the 1984 Torture Convention. They won't be prosecuted here in America, of course, but Sands is very serious when he warns these officials that they should be careful about traveling overseas. President-elect Obama has been outspoken in his opposition to torture, his insistence that America respect constitutional law and international treaties, his support of habeas corpus, which for 700 years has protected the rights of prisoners from unlawful detention and coercive or arbitrary force by the state and by his disagreements with the Military Commissions Act of October 2006, part of which was struck down by the Supreme Court in June 2008. On August 1, 2007, Obama made a speech at the Woodrow Wilson International Center in Washington, D.C. In that speech, he made the following promise, and I quote, In the dark halls of Abu Ghraib, in the detention cells of Guantanamo, we have compromised our most precious values. What could have been a call to a generation has become an excuse for unchecked presidential power. A tragedy that united us was turned into a political wedge issue used to divide us. When I am president, America will reject torture without exception. America is the country that stood against that kind of behavior, and we will do so again. As President, I will close Guantanamo, reject the Military Commissions Act, and adhere to the Geneva Conventions. Our Constitution and our Uniform Code of Military Justice provide a framework for dealing with the terrorists. The separation of powers works. Our Constitution works. We will again set an example to the world that the law is not subject to the whims of stubborn rulers and that justice is not arbitrary. I pray that Obama keeps his promise. Jesus says that nothing less than the soul of our nation is at stake. And for further reflection, watch the film Taxi to the Dark Side, which won an Academy Award as Best Documentary for Portraying Detainee Abuse and Torture at the Bagram Air Force Base, Abu Ghraib, and Guantanamo. And then see the two books, first Jane Mayer, The Dark Side, The Inside Story of How the War on Terror Turned into a War on American Ideals, New York Doubleday, 2008. And then Philippe Sands, Torture Team, Rumsfeld's Memo and the Betrayal of American Values, New York Palgrave, 2008. For books this week, I review Joan Chittister. The title of the book is The Gift of Years, Growing Older Gracefully. New York Blue Bridge, 2008. 224 pages. Joan Chittister, Benedictine nun, has written over 25 books that map the terrain of the Christian life. With special attention paid to issues of feminism, International Justice, the Monastics, and Reform in the Catholic Church. (coughs) I've especially enjoyed and reviewed for Journey with Jesus her book, Scarred by Struggle, Transformed by Hope, 2003, based upon the Jacob narrative, her book, Listen with the Heart, 2003, and then a third book, Called to Question, 2004, in this, her newest book, The Gift of Years, she writes for a broader audience that is not necessarily Christian or even religious. Now that she has passed her 70th birthday, Chittister explores what it means to grow older gracefully. To do this, she has written short three- to five-page meditations on 40 themes, Regret, ageism, adjustment, letting go, sadness, solitude, success, and so on. She begins each chapter with a pithy aphorism from a broad range of poets and prophets, both ancient and modern. For example, Plato, Picasso, Browning and Byron, Emily Dickinson and Carl Jung. After the brief meditation, she summarizes the short chapter by observing what she calls both the burden and the blessing of the theme under consideration. On the idea of the future, for example, she writes, The burden of these years is to assume that the future is already over. A blessing of these years is to give another whole meaning to what it is to be alive, to be ourselves, to be full of life our own life." End quote. <clears throat> Which is to say that much of my future of growing older is what I intentionally choose to make it. We all face the inexorable biology of the body and the deterioration of our physical condition, but we also enjoy the possibilities of what Chittister calls the eternity of the spirit and the frame of mind we choose to follow. One can choose to age passively or actively, says Chitterster. That is wisdom worth pondering, especially when you consider that the average retirement age is about 64, which means the average American also has another 20 years or more to live and to love. Having worked long and hard to make a living, Chitterster advises that our older years offer us the chance to make a life. Joan Chittister, The Gift of Years, Growing Older Gracefully. For film this week, I review Choking Man from the year 2007. Jorge is a young and morbidly shy immigrant from Ecuador. By day, he washes dishes at the Olympic diner in Jamaica, Queens, New York. At midnight, he returns to his grimy apartment in a very weird roommate. Jorge pulls his hooded sweatshirt over his forehead so that we barely see his face. He knows a little English, but he almost never speaks. At work, an obnoxious cook named Jerry bullies and hectors him. But there's one bright spot for Jorge, a bubbly waitress from China named Amy. She defends him, but she also enjoys flirting with the obnoxious Jerry. That's unfortunate because Jorge had been enjoying her attention, shining his shoes, getting a haircut, and even buying her a gift. The isolation of Jorge's immigrant experience and the dysfunction at his job are exacerbated by his pathological introversion, so that he is, in an emotional sense, a choking man. Even the church and Christian faith, which is repeatedly invoked, can't help him. The film ends with two surprise twists in the plot. This film is mainly in English with some Spanish in subtitles. Choking Man, from the year 2007. (coughs) And finally, for poetry this week, we've posted a prayer by Soren Kierkegaard. Kierkegaard lived from 1813 to 1855. I've taken this prayer from a book by Catherine Green McRaeke. The title is called, Darkness is My Only Companion, Grand Rapids, Brazos, 2006. A Prayer by Soren Kierkegaard O Lord, calm the waves of this heart, calm its tempests. Calm yourself, O my soul, so that the divine can act in you. Calm yourself, O my soul, so that God is able to repose in you so that his peace may cover you. Yes, Father in heaven, often we have found that the world cannot give us peace. Oh, but make us feel that you are able to give peace. Let us know the truth of your promise, that the whole world may not be able to take away your peace. Prayer by Soren Kierkegaard Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, November 23rd, 2008. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.